So, Rachel. Yeah? Q throws the Enterprise into uncharted space where it encounters and is engaged by a dangerous alien vessel of a previously unknown species, the Borg. Ooh, at last, eh? Yeah. What do you think you're going to get? I think we'll have a battle of wits between Picard and Q. Q will say, did you miss me? And there'll be some costume changes, including Roman, Elizabethan, futuristic magician and worm. The Borg will give Data something to think about and Guinan will make everything all right. I that, hope. That sounds like a great episode. Ooh. Rachel watches Star Trek. Hot chocolate, please. <laughs> we, uh... We don't ordinarily say please to food dispensers around here. Well, since it's listed as intelligence circuitry, why not? After all, working with so much artificial intelligence can be dehumanizing, right? So why not combat that tendency with a little simple courtesy? Ah, thank you. Someone who just arrived. You certainly aren't shy with your opinions. Have I been talking too much? Oh, Ensign Gomez, you are a delight. What is with her hair, though? Yeah, that's a lot of gel and backcombing, isn't it? Yeah, what's going on with that? Oh, and wait a minute. Who are you? Welcome to Rachel Watches Star Trek. I'm Rachel Lackey. And I'm Chris Lackey. And this episode, we are joined by a guest. Another delight. The triple decorated Lieutenant Commander, Richard Wolf. Hello. Nice to be here. Welcome, Richard. Just tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, I am a Star Trek fan, longtime uh, listener, first-time participant <laughs> on the podcast. Um, I, I live here in sunny West Hollywood, California, and uh, it's it's a true delight to be on the show. Thank you so much for having me. And you picked this episode to join us, so what's so special about it for you? Well, um, I'm, I am a Borg aficionado. I, oh. I, I've always been uh, quite fascinated by the collective. It was, in fact, episodes about the Borg that really got me interested as a as a young lad in the franchise of Star Trek. You know, they've always occupied a, a special place in my heart as a, a villain uh, entity, character, what have you, in the series. And so this being the introduction is, is very special. Yeah, that makes sense. I can understand why you chose it in that context. So let's get into the synopsis. There's lots to discuss, oh especially when we get to concepts. Oh my gosh. Are you, are you kidding me? No. We begin at the top with Ensign Gomez getting hot chocolate to drink in engineering. That doesn't seem to be very cool. But then again, in the future, you would think that they would make computers spill-proof. Oh, yeah, they really should. And why have the machine right there if you're not supposed to have a drink? Well, maybe they replicate parts and things. Really? Yeah. If you weren't supposed to have hot chocolate or you know, uh, some tacos or something on Tuesday, <laughs> then maybe they shouldn't have put that there. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It doesn't make sense if it's making parts. Now, we heard that she's of the opinion that you should be polite to a computer because working with so much AI can be dehumanizing, and she feels that common courtesy will keep everyone from becoming a jerk. What do you think about that? Well, I guess with our Google Home device, I do feel bad sometimes, but I feel quite irritated with her at others. I definitely see her as a her because she's got a female voice. Yeah. So when she kind of favours you or yeah. won't listen to me when I say stop, and she's told me so many times, you don't have to say, okay, Google, stop. But then when I say stop and she doesn't stop, <laughs> but then I feel bad about that as well. So she's trying to be helpful, isn't she? 
She she is, yeah. She's not getting any better yeah, understanding well, me. I feel the tendency, because now we're living in a Star Trek future where we can just tell our computer things and that happens. Yeah. Obviously, when this was on, that was science fiction and now it is science fact. And you don't have to say please and thank you and it won't treat you any differently as a result, but still. I like to say please and thank you to it. might be dehumanizing us yeah, to not. Exactly. Yeah, I think anytime somebody shows empathy to an inanimate object, that's probably a, a better sign than, mm. uh, you know, <laughs> the opposite of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. LaForge sees that she's nervous. She's just been assigned to the Enterprise and it's a big deal for her. He does his best to try and make her feel at ease. She's qualified. Just relax and do your job. She expresses that she is on the Enterprise. <laughs> She's like, you don't understand. <laughs> I've got to nerd out about this. They're going to see things that are going to be amazing and incredible, and she wants to be a part of that and not to let anybody down. Mm. It's nice to have somebody remind us how amazing it all is, actually, since most of the crew are so, and what, all the time <laughs> about phenomenal uh, things. LaForge says she'll be fine, but she should ditch the hot chocolate. So she goes to leave and bumps straight into Picard, spilling the drink all over him and then massaging it into his chest <laughs> for quite a long time, <laughs> trying to wipe it off. Does this incre increase the sexiness rating? Uh, I guess. <laughs> hot chocolate's not really a sexy drink to rub on someone, is it? I was trying for quite a long time to think of a sexy one. <laughs> I don't know if that was a good use of my time. I thought maybe iced tea or a slushy. Is there a sexier drink choice that you could think of, Richard? Not that I can really think <laughs> of. And I, I feel terrible for Jean-Luc because, I mean, not only was that probably exceedingly hot, yeah. but now it's, he's getting it, like, just kind of rubbed into him. Like, he's, he needs a sonic shower now. Yeah. Oh, boy. Scalding hot. Now it's completely through his skin. Yeah. And he's never met her before, and she's a subordinate he's pretty annoyed at first but then he softens a bit as he can see that she's new and excited laforge he tries to take responsibility but picard he's cool about it uh he leaves to go get cleaned up forgetting why he came there perhaps yeah <laughs> never actually tells anyone anything or does anything yeah maybe he was going for a hot chocolate and then that was the only machine that does them and then when he goes into the turbo lift and comes out, he finds himself in a shuttlecraft. And guess who's piloting it? Q! Uh oh What do you think, Richard, about this unannounced return of Q? Well, Q is great fun. Always has been, always will be. Uh, I, I was a little confused as to his approach here uh, and why he didn't just kind of blip onto the bridge as is his mm. normal want. But uh hey, uh, he's, he's got something up his sleeve, so let's see what it is. Yeah, and he claims to be a man of his word that he said he wouldn't mess with the Enterprise anymore, so he's decided to take it onto a shuttle instead. <laughs> like, well, that's very strictly, I guess, that <laughs> means your word is being upheld. Yeah, yeah I don't buy it. On a technicality. <laughs> yeah. He's a very uh, trickster god-ish, yeah. and I think he's one of those dudes that maybe would stick to the letter of his word, mm. but not the intent uh, yeah. behind it. Yeah, yeah. In 10 Forward, LaForge and Gomez are having a drink and talking. He's trying to help her loosen up, but not, in, but not in a creepy way. No, he's very not creepy and very cool in this scene. Yeah. He seems very friendly and not like he's trying to creep on her yeah. at all. He knows she's made a bad first impression. Is that let's just get to know each other. There's an episode in the future where Jordy gets a little creep. Uh, and gets his creep on. He Yeah, but it's, it's just not some great writing, I oh, think. Okay. But that's neither here nor there, except for the fact that Jordy's perfect. Yeah, yeah. He's great. Uh, Guinan is there and she looks concerned and she calls up to the bridge and asks if everything's all right. I love that. And Riker has weirded out 
by Guinan calling to the bridge because she doesn't, but he checks everything out and says, yeah, everything's fine. Well done, Guinan. If you send something, say something. <laughs> she doesn't have any further information for them yet, though. No. While LaForge and Gomez are talking, LaForge notices Guinan is spacing out and he asks her if everything is okay. And she says, I don't know. Which weirds him out. Mm. And he says, uh, I'm going to engineering right now. And he just scuttles off and Gomez goes with him. Well done, Jordi. He obviously knows if Guinan's got a spidey sense on, something's <laughs> up. And he better go and protect his precious engineering. Um, Guinan's premonitioning the scene at last for 43 seconds. Oh. <laughs> I, I was kind of taken aback at like how long it was. And so I timed it. And for about 43 seconds, she's having a feeling. And it's it was, it was just amusing to me. Yeah, it didn't seem long to me. I, I'm hypnotized by Whoopi. On the shuttle, Picard tries to contact the Enterprise, but they are not in comms range. Q says that they have business to discuss, but Picard won't talk to him under duress. Q says, you will eventually. Oh, dear. He's not being as impish as he is last time. I guess he just knows he's got the power. Doesn't really need to prance around so much, does he? Or get changed. I wish he would have a costume change. Uh, Troy comes to, up to the bridge and wonders where Picard is. I think she's been listening at the door and she heard Guinan. <laughs> uh, yes, there's something I felt too. <laughs> Just trying to look useful. Uh, they look and discover that he's not on the ship and that one of the shuttles is missing. Nice suspense building. How are you enjoying it at this point, Richard? I thought it was great. I kind of pictured Deanna waiting at the Arboretum for her and Picard's stroll through uh, <laughs> through there and kind of wondering, where has this guy gotten to? But yeah. um, I like how as soon as they realize that he's not on the ship, they answer all stop and they start their search. Yeah, yeah. great. Now on the shuttle, Q is bouncing a ball off the wall as Picard fumes silently. That noise must be so annoying when you're already fuming. <laughs> Yeah, it's oh, it's just really good. This is a really good episode. Like the, the it really accentuates how annoying Q is. <laughs> yeah. You know, by him just bouncing that ball off the wall as he's talking, and makes it, him more childlike. Yeah, a little bullyish, but restrained. Right. Picard tells Q that he will talk to him if he takes him back to the Enterprise, and just like that, mid ball toss, they're in ten forward. Then the ball bounces back at him, so the balls come too. Yeah, that's cool. I liked that. Guinan sees Q and goes on the defensive. And we get some vague information about their history together 200 years ago. Yeah. I think you tipped me off to that a bit, but it was still fantastic to hear it. That she's over 200 yeah. years old. Who is this person? Yeah. Non-person. Q says about Guinan, this creature is not what she appears to be. She's an imp. And where she goes, trouble always follows. Picard says, that's not her, that's you. <laughs> <laughs> True. Guinan and, and Q, they have their hands up like some kind of claw gesture, like they're going to unleash some sort of power. Mm. But what is up with this? Because, I mean, obviously, Q's got powers, but do you think Guinan has any special, like, anti-Q abilities? I think yes, but maybe Ruby Slippers style, <laughs> but she can't protect others. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm you know spoiling anything here, but Guinan is, is of the Elorian race, which we don't ever really learn too much about. So uh -huh. Q has that line, Guinan, is that your name now? As mm -hmm. if, you know, so there's yeah. there's definitely this strange background that we never really get to know too much about. So yeah, I've always assumed that Guinan or, or her race in general have given their longevity and maybe, you know, their mysterious abilities to sense things outside the normal space-time continuum that maybe they've got some kind of a power that the very least can defend them against the Q, which yeah. is a fascinating subject 
What again? Yeah. We don't get a lot of background on it. Mm. Yeah, but doesn't defend them against the Borg, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, Q says, forget about her. I have an offer. I want to join your crew. I've been asked to leave the Q continuum and I've been bored and I remembered how much fun we had together. (laughs) Creepy little bully. (laughs) Riker says, you put humanity on trial and tried to recruit me to the continuum. So, you know, it wasn't that much fun for us. And Q offers to renounce his powers. Yeah. Woody, though. What did he say? So I could be as pathetic and... Yeah, incompetent keeps, as you. <laughs> yeah, he keeps talking about the crew as incompetent and unworthy, doesn't he's, he? Oh god, he's such a treasure. That <laughs> John Delancey is like, ah, uh, every good. time he talks, and maybe it's the writing and his performance, mm. but it's just he's so entertaining. Uh, Picard finds this very interesting and actually thinks about it. He then goes, "Okay, Q, let's let's, let's uh, workshop this. Yeah, let's game this out. Uh, how is this going to work? Are you going to start off as a crewman and work your way up?" How could this possibly work with your in- infinite power <laughs> that you're just going to be on our crew? I thought he was just trying to get Q to see it was illogical. Yeah. Picard says, well, look, I don't trust you. And Q argues that they need his guidance because they aren't ready for what's out there. Guidance says they'll adapt. It's humanity's greatest advantage. And Q says, hey, here's a preview of things to come. And he throws the ship 7,000 light years from their current location. Oh, man. And then Q just disappears. They find out that it's going to take a few years to get back to the nearest starbase. And Guinan says, I'd start back now. Mm. I, I was always wondering whether or not Guinan kind of knew what Q was thinking at this point. Oh. Her, mm-hmm. her use of the term adapt. So I was wondering whether or not she had an inkling as to what he was up to. But mm. um, it, it is kind of a frightening concept to think that at maximum warp, it's going to take you over two years to get oh to the gosh. nearest starbase. And obviously, later on for Voyager, that, that's a bit funny. Uh, but mm-hmm. at this point, to think that, gosh, it's going to take you more than two years to get back home. Ooh, that's going to yeah. be <gasps> just spine tingling. For- mm-hmm. Yeah, so remote. And perhaps they'd run out of resources as well. Yeah, it's funny because they they go deep dive into this. That's what the series Voyager is about. Oh, Voyager gets thrown to the opposite side of the galaxy, and it's going to take them seventy five years to return oh, right. back to their space. Gosh. So they go they deep dive into that concept with mm. the series. Now Picard, however, he decides not to listen <laughs> to mm. Guinan's advice. He goes, you know, let's since we're here, why don't we look around a bit? Oh. Now, is this stupid expert or Starfleet ethos at work here? I'm kind of conflicted because knowing what we know, yeah, Picard should have immediately set a course and gotten the heck out of there. But, I mean, even in Voyager, they sort of, you know, take a circuitous route home sometimes to Mm. map out new phenomenon and and, Mm -hmm. and take a look at the area. So from from an explorer's perspective, they're in a, a really unique situation. So I can't necessarily blame or, or chalk it up to you know stupid experts per se. To mm-hmm. you know for Picard and the team to be like, yeah, let's let's uh, let's have a look around. Let's tour the neighborhood a little. <laughs> yeah, yeah, since we're here and it's so far away. Yeah, and maybe also he realizes Q would just fling them back there anyway, even if they did haul ass. Yeah, maybe. yeah. So they find a class M planet Q song. <laughs> Ooh, I can't believe it, we've found enough like planet I'm aching for answers, I'm peeing my pants Let's go and learn everything about it They see it had an industrialized civilization But the cities have been scooped up Ooh. They bring up that it looks identical to what happened at the Romulan neutral zone 
a giant cube-shaped ship shows up that's all made of pieces of metal and different organic forms. Yeah, like really, pipes and panels really and really yeah. detailed, lots of little bits and bobs in there. Guinan tells Picard that the ship belongs to the Borg, who devastated her home planet. They are cybernetic race, part organic, part machine, all cop. No, <laughs> what, she, like she doesn't a... say that. <laughs> she doesn't say that. Robocop. Robocop. Guinan says, they will destroy you. It's funny that she says destroy you and not us. Oh, is she immortal? I don't know. That's to learn about her. So I wonder if she does have some weird powers that would kind of get her out of the jam, but she mm. didn't doesn't have enough powers to get everybody else out of the jam. Yeah, if she's the only one who survived of her people. Through the shields, the board transport onto the Enterprise's engineering. One. Yeah, it's just one of them. Oh no, through the shields though. Picard comes down and tries to talk to it, but the thing just ignores him. It seems to be messing with the ship's systems, and a security guy tries to stop it but the board just tosses him across the room. Oh, Worf is not coming off well here as head of security. Picard has to remind him to do something about this being who's meddling with their computer system. So he just sends in this other unarmed guy to deal with it, who gets thrown across the room. Worf totally redshirts that guy. <laughs> he does. <laughs> so harsh. And then he's still sort of standing back next to Picard when he finally stuns him. That doesn't work, so he has to use the kill setting, and that, that does disable the guy. And then earlier, Picard had to warn Worf off from attacking Q twice in the episode, so he's either too hot or too... Shy. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. After that Borg goes down, another Borg transports in right next and just kind of takes over the job that the other guy oh, was that's doing. Menacing, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. really creepy. And then Worf tries to shoot this one, but this time it a little force field thing pops up and protects it as it just goes about its duty. It's totally unfazed by wow. all of the stuff that's going on. This kind of transparent visor that just comes up at wherever the beam goes. Yeah. They've evolved already, I guess. The Borg then stops, picks some parts off of the dead Borg, and then it transports away, and the dead the dead Borg disintegrates. Yeah, that's quite creepy. You can hear the kind of sounds of them picking out its eye augment and yeah. various parts. Those are the useful bits. The rest of it can just disintegrate. I guess so, yeah. And it leaves a, a nasty mark on the carpet that's going to be really difficult to clean. <laughs> yeah. Apparently you just use shaving foam to clean a carpet. I learned that yesterday. Oh, wow. Yeah. Picard calls a conference with Guinan and offices to see if there's anything more Guinan can tell them. She explains they don't negotiate and then they're hailed. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the U.S. We have analyzed your defensive capabilities as being unable to withstand us. If you defend yourselves, you will be punished. Oh, that's chilling. <laughs> And at this point, Troy's helpful. She actually says something to give some insight. She explains that they aren't many minds, but one mind. They're a collective intelligence with no leader. Worf calls in and says that the Borg ship has them in a tractor beam. The Borg ship then uses a laser to cut through the hull of the Enterprise and extracts layers of the saucer section. It's like coring an apple. Mm. Mm. Yeah. 18 crew members are taken with it. They blast the Borg ship and they do actually manage to destroy 20% of it. In the observation lounge, Q shows up and explains that Borg don't care about the crew, they just want their technology, and they will take what they want. Picard hopes that the 18 missing people are an illusion that Q mm. created, but Q says no. They're, that really happened. You gotta deal with it. Picard thinks that since the Borg ship seems to be heavily damaged, that they should beam over and learn all they can about them. Gosh. Guinan advises that get the hell out of there oh. and not mess with it. And again, he doesn't listen. Again, or... 
stupid expert or Starfleet ethos? Again, kind of conflicted because knowing what we know, we know that they should be getting the heck out of there. But from a tactical perspective, from a strategic perspective, they think they've disabled this ship. So now is as good a time as any to beam over, collect as much information as you can about this threat, and then maybe get out of there. I I was wondering too about the stupid experts when, why do you keep ignoring Guinan? She clearly is the only person other (laughs) than Q who knows, you know, what these things are and how dangerous they are. Yeah, and I don't think Q's brought them there to face some, some beings who can be easily disabled by a few torpedoes. Yeah. They see the ship is full of Borg, despite having no life readings. Data hypothesizes it's because they're actually one life form. Wow, so that's why they didn't read. There are lots of individual Borg, if that's what we're calling them, Mm -hmm. dormant in little alcoves, regenerating, I guess. Mm. The inside of the ship's huge. A Borg walks around and doesn't even notice or care that that the Enterprise crew are on their ship. Yeah. (laughs) It just... Again, it's really creepy. Yeah. There's so much about this. I forgot how creepy this episode is. It's it's pretty effective. Without them creating any attack or threat on a one-to-one basis. Mm. Yeah, that's one of the things about the Borg that continues to be really fascinating from the perspective of, you know, that if, if they don't perceive you to be a threat, then they'll just ignore you. Doesn't matter wow. that you're on their ship or anything like that. As long oh. as as you're not getting in their way, hey, they could, they could care less. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's so bizarre. Just I love walk it. Walk around you like ants. Data says the technology to link up all the brains of these people is way beyond the technology the Federation has. And then Data notices that the ship is actually repairing itself and rather quickly. Mm, We see it kind of knitting itself back together on the outside. Yeah. Picard immediately beams them back to the bridge and they go hell for leather and warp out of there. Matt, finally. But the Borg follow and they're gaining. The Borg knock out the shields. Even the Enterprise's torpedoes don't work on them. And then the Borg knock out their warp engines. It's over. Q, end this. Moi? What makes you think I'm either inclined or capable to terminate this encounter? If we all die here, now, you will not be able to gloat. You wanted to frighten us. We're frightened. You wanted to show us that we were inadequate for the moment. I grant that. You wanted me to say, I need you. I need you. I thought it was pretty powerful there. Yeah. I need you. Finally, he's willing to admit that. Obviously, he had this kind of philosophy with dealing with cures. Just don't engage him. Ignore him and he'll go away kind of thing. Mm. But his entire crew's life is on the line here. Now he's having to negotiate with the terrorist. So, yeah, he does it. He says what Q wants, obviously. So Q snaps his fingers, and they're back to where they started. And then we have this. That was a difficult admission. Another man would have been humiliated to say those words. Another man would have rather died than asked for help. I understand what you've done here, Q. But I think the lesson could have been learned without the loss of 18 members of my crew. If you can't take a little bloody nose, maybe you ought to go back home and crawl under your bed. It's not safe out here. It's wondrous, with treasures to satiate desires both subtle and gross. But it's not for the timid. Ah, the cheek. Yeah. They're doing brave things all the time, Q. God. 
And then he's gone. He disappears. Mm, just calls it a little bloody nose that 18 people have died. Yeah. In a way, you've been humiliated mm-hmm. and you're weak. Yeah. Now I'm out of here with the upper hand. Because he, he showed him, like, look, you aren't ready for this. And so in your face. Picard tells them to head for the nearest starbase. And we end with Picard and Guinan playing 3D chess in 10 forward. Q set a series of events into motion, bringing your contact with the Borg much sooner than it should have come. Now, perhaps when you're ready, it might be possible to establish a relationship with them. But for now, for right now, you're just raw material to them. Since they're aware of your existence, they will be coming. You can bet on it. Maybe Q did the right thing for the wrong reason. How so? Well, perhaps what we most needed was a kick in our complacency to prepare us for what lies ahead. Ooh, wow. Gosh, kicking our complacency. Time for them to really get ready for people, for beings like the Borg. Yeah. They've been out here getting away with it for too long. Yeah, well, I mean, we're going to get into concepts. We can't help it. So let's let's do do it. Concepts. Richard, I know you wanted to talk about the communist allegory here. Yeah, and I know some people kind of argue about whether or not the Borg are sort of emblematic of like a communist undercurrent or a tone versus Mm. like maybe an imperialistic one. I've always seen them through the lens of, hey, this was made... In you know 1989, the Soviet Union was nearing collapse, but wasn't quite there just yet. And mm. the Borg are this force that strip you of individuality. You know, if you resist us, you will be punished. It, it they strike me as a much more on the nose um, type of villain that typifies that sort of the the worst aspects of of communism. That you know, I think. In previously the, the original series, the Klingons were supposed to be a bit of a stand-in for that. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just think that the Borg, based on how they've been written, how they were constructed for the show, they're much better at that role. But yeah. without having a leader, they've assumed that type of homogenous way of being. Communism is sort of a is an economic system. We think of communism as repre- like what Russia was, and it was really corrupt. They didn't work yes. in the idealized way it was supposed to work. Yeah, I suppose to maybe clarify a little bit, because you're absolutely right, Chris, communism is an economic philosophy. I, I like to to sort of refer to it as authoritative communism, because yes. yeah. you know, the way that Stalin and Khrushchev and you know, even today, the, you know, the Chinese Communist Party, the way that you know, things are run is not what economists would refer to as communism in its strictest form. Yeah. Um, but you know, going back to sort of how the, the lay person might think of communism and, and the Borg, you have the Borg sort of scooping up these industrial sections, not only in, you know, in the planet that we encounter here in this episode, but also uh, as you referenced in the neutral zone, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Federation and the Romulan colonies that were just, they were scooped up off the planet kind of reminds me of how um, the, the Soviet Union and then, you know, communist China sort of appropriated, um, you know, vast tracts of land for, you know, farming purposes and also adapts and assimilates technology that they've stolen, you know, from the Manhattan Project to build nuclear weapons post mm-hmm. 
World War II. So there are just these little themes here and there that through the lens um, that, you know, me as a, a young person growing up watching the show when I did and being a bit of a dilettant scholar of the Cold War, uh, they just sort of strike me as being, you know, very uh, applicable. Yeah, mm. I could see that. Yeah. I guess a lot of the writers would have grown up during the McCarthy era and communism would have had like, had complex views about being Americans. You know, especially for America, a very hyper-individualistic society um, to have a threat that basically comes in and says, you know, we're going we're gonna to take all of that away from you. It doesn't matter. That's a really, that's a very scary concept. Yeah, I suppose it makes me think of war and that their people are disposable. They can send as many in as they need to to get intel. And it doesn't right. matter if how many of them die because mm-hmm. once they've got enough intel, they'll come in and completely sweep you all away. But, th- right. this is, but this is kind of one of the really interesting things about the Borg is that there isn't like an evil dictator in charge. There mm-hmm. isn't a, a mind behind it. Well. At this point, there isn't. If they're a true collective, everybody is equal. Just one mind? They're just one mind. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's a pretty crazy concept. And that each individual humanoid that's in there, their brains are all hooked up together and they form this one thing, Mm. which is pretty nutty. It could way outthink whatever Mm. the people are going to do on the Enterprise. Like, you're not just trying to outthink one person. You're trying to outthink collectively thousands of people. Right, so it's not just like worker bees. No. Being told hormonally what to do and bumbling around. It's the collective minds of thousands. It's a collective mind. So like you've got thousands of people focused on one problem, whatever that problem is. That's why when that one drone got killed, the other one popped up here at a shield already. They they sorted that in like less than 30 seconds. They're like, oh, they've got phasers, anti-phaser force field, done. Man. You know, that's the thing they're dealing with. And as a concept, that's pretty crazy uh, and horrific. Yeah. But I, unfortunately, I think later on in the series, and maybe Richard, you agree with me, I think they sort of depower the Borg a bit. They're too yeah. powerful, are they? I think so. Because th- yeah. they eventually come up with ways to defeat them. And the ways they come up to defeat them d- don't seem that complex, really. And they seem like they could easily be outmaneuvered by a collective. But I mean, yeah. that would be really hard to write for. I completely agree with with you, Chris. I think this is the really the only time that we encounter the Borg where the collective consciousness is really the villain or the subject of, of the conversation in the mm-hmm. story. After yeah. this, you've got individual Borg characters, which is kind of you know seems to be against the whole concept of the Borg. Oh yeah, yeah. It's very difficult to try and write. Con, you know storylines where you are dealing with this collective consciousness maybe that's why it, they go in yeah. that direction I, I think that they definitely mm-hmm. water the board down after a while because they maybe realized that we did we did too good of a job yeah. we made it a villain <laughs> that really in 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 a real world you know that's funny to say star trek but in a real world scenario you wouldn't be able to put off the board as long as starfleet actually has mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah unless q pops you out of there you're going to go down yeah yeah exactly you know the borg were originally supposed to be an insectoid race mm. and that's what maurice hurley when he wrote neutral zone had in mind and uh this episode he wrote as well is actually a sequel to that episode from the first season i guess the last thing i would say too is you know the kind of just going back to the concept of um you know undercurrents of communism and uh, indoctrination there's there's that scene where Riker, Worf, and Beta 
stumble into the Borg nursery. And <laughs> yes. they see that, you know, the, the children with the cybernetic implants already in them or on them. Mm. And again, kind of thinking back to fear of indoctrination, um, especially youth, youth indoctrination. Yeah. Uh, sure particular philosophies or you know or you know positions and that too kind of struck me as on a second watch or third watch of, of the episode recently that there you know there's this fear of manipulation of humanity at such you know tender moments and, yeah. and that being a, a, again another frightening concept first we go into this nursery and all you can you, you can't see anybody you can just hear human baby coos Mm -hmm. And then they open drawers where these babies are living um, and they just, they look like human babies. So it, as you say, it does kind of connect us to what if a human child was brainwashed from birth yeah. in a philosophy, yeah. indoctrinated. But they do look like cute little babies with stuff gl glued onto their faces. and Quite little... happy to be living <laughs> in a drawer. Yeah, they, they seem to be fine with it. <laughs> Maybe they've got Playstations in there. <laughs> Guinan is hundreds of years old. She's mm -hmm. a sensing being, very mysterious, even more than I realise. And it left me wanting to know more about her, which is good, isn't it? Yeah. Poor Troy. <laughs> <laughs> totally overshadowed. Just inadequate when Guinan's there. <laughs> being polite to food dispensers because they're intelligence. That's yeah. a little bit of a concept we had thrown in. Yeah. And I think that that, that B plot is kind of following along with this plot, you know, losing our humanity. Dealing with artificial intelligences, thinking about what makes us different from machines. Yeah, and the yeah. way that Q treats everybody as an object has no interest or concept yeah. of empathizing yeah. with any of There's them. There's some interesting things about Q that play out later. With I, I don't want to spoil things, but uh, if you look at the big picture after watching all of Star Trek, Q actually may have helped oh. everybody oh, by doing okay. this. Yeah. So he says. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a pretty solid argument that I won't make until we get further down, oh, the, down the road. Okay. Well, and even Picard in the closing scene of, of the show says, I don't like what he did. But at the very least, now we, we're prepared. We know what's coming. Yeah, you're right. We've and, lost 18, but we could have lost everybody if we just stayed complacent. And also, another fact of it is that the Borg were close enough to the neutral zone. Mm. They're, they're, they're coming. Like it, it, it was only a matter of time before they're coming. Yeah. It wasn't going to be, you know, if if Q didn't do this, speed things up a bit, like give them the chance to get some intel and get out of there, they would be completely unprepared when the board comes rolling in. Yeah. And Q got the job. So why did he leave? <laughs> <laughs> he said he wanted to be up the crew. That I thought it was interesting that the Borg don't attack individually. They just gather information. And then when they're ready, they just annihilate you. Yeah. How scary. Oh, yeah, they get scarier. I you know it's, it seems mm. like they wouldn't, but they do. Maybe they don't wear as much black lycra in the future. It's <laughs> <laughs> not very scary as a fabric. Oh, yeah. So for concepts, I'm going to give it eight out of 10. Eight out of 10 sounds about right to me. Yeah, I, I agree. Just the introduction of the Borg alone and, and their, how they are, are structured and written into the Star Trek universe at this point, it's, it's definitely provocative. So I agree, eight out of 10 entertainment you know the look of the board came out of budget concerns mm -hmm. because this insectoid race thing was what uh hurley wanted but they're like we can't afford to make a bunch of insect dudes so they went with this biomechanical geiger-esque kind of design mm -hmm. that was pretty cool and very iconic i mean it's something that 
is stuck with Star Trek from since they showed up. People yeah. love it. And it's easier to dress a con as than an insect. It sure is. <laughs> and uh, the costume designer, Dorinda Rice Wood, said this. I was tired by this streamlined stainless steel concept of scary. With the Borg, the idea was that the drones lived for centuries and that their body parts would wear out and be replaced with mechanical body parts. I wanted to show that they didn't wear out uniformly. So some of them had eye patches, some had fake legs or arms. Nice. The makeup design uh, had them look zombie-like and Westmore said this about them. So that viewers would know that they were seeing a creature that couldn't be reasoned with or negotiated with. The life had been leached out of them. Mm-hmm. So that's why they had the really pale makeup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Felt suspenseful. And I loved the Guinan stuff in this episode. It was a bit of a mature episode for me. So I admired it, but I didn't enjoy it as much as I do others. Oh, all right. Because there were no costume changes. And that's what you <laughs> <laughs> kind of promised me. You want Q to be <laughs> coming out in his sombrero yes. and... Uh... Yeah, but it made sense because he wanted to be a crew person. So why would he need to dress as anybody else? Yeah, I love the design of the Borg ship. That was fantastically different from mm. anything else. Yeah, I don't know how it flies. And the pods they used to regenerate in there, the organic machine blend of everything. Yeah. So I'm gonna give it seven out of ten. Oh, well, I really enjoyed it. I was riveted. I've seen it many times, and I'm still like hooked. And I'm watching it. I love the writing. I love cues. Whenever he, John Delancey's just so good. I just could watch a whole show about him. He's he's so much fun and he's interesting and he's he, he still surprises me with things that he says. You know, sometimes you think he'd be aggressive, but he turns to turns out to be passive and a. He's kind of understated. Yeah, he? He and brings sh- everything home. Yeah, yeah, and shady is all hell. Uh, yeah. It's it's really great. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Great. You've got the introduction of, of the Borg. You've got a great character in Guinan and Q, both together and teasing this relationship that they have, while there's also this life or death struggle for the Enterprise to not only avoid this um, this juggernaut threat, but also just to get home. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, from an entertainment perspective, um, I, I'd give it an 8 out of 10 as well. I, I'd probably shoot it up to 9 if if not for the fact that I think that there are some other episodes that are, are probably a little bit more worthy of that than, than the Q. Uh, you want to hold back. Make hold sure back. That makes sense. To go to that yeah. makes sense. <laughs> All right. And lastly, sexiness. Well, Guinan yeah. plus hot chocolate chest rub, <laughs> 4 out of 5. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. It gives it a whole point and a half. Why I would not? have just gave it a half a point. I was going to knock it up to, to three. Yeah. I was going to give it a three on Sexodus. Uh, because there was something kind of, provi- like she was rubbing him just a little bit longer than she should have. <laughs> oh, a lot longer. And he was letting her. Yeah. So there was some something going on there that seemed a little... Boundaries, but God. A little naughty. And mm-hmm. I, I kind of like that. So, yeah, 3.5 to me. I, I didn't really find anything too terribly sexy about the episode. <laughs> so I'll be, I'll be the downer and give it a two. Uh, oh, even less than average. Less than average. <laughs> I and, think you're right. Then. And stupid experts. Uh, not leaving sooner, maybe. Although we don't know if it would have worked out any yeah, differently. But it, there's a Starfleet ethos that's involved mm-hmm. about exploration and learning. And if you're here, you might as well find out about yeah, it. Yeah. So I don't. I think he was very powerful, and in the end, they did need to know this stuff. Right. But mm, I'd I, say I'd say Worf was not a great expert in this. <laughs> Too hot, then too nervous, ineffective. Well, I mean, you know, I'm good thing. I mean, he's the chief of security. He shouldn't be doing everything himself. 
Yeah, but he shouldn't. He shouldn't have to be told by the captain to do anything. <laughs> uh, well, maybe I don't. I don't know. Maybe a one. I give, give it one point five for Worf. Yeah, I, I'm going to have to give it a, a two just because there are a couple of instances where, like for example, when they first are, are fleeing from the Borg and they get shot at, and Worf is like, "Oh, nothing happened," and Data had to turn around and tell him. Oh, it was an attack on the shields for one. Oh, yeah. oh right, yeah. And say, oh yeah, the shields look like they they fell a couple of points. Like, come on. Yeah, Worf. that's true. I go up to two for that then. Yeah, I forgot about that. You're right. So your guesses? I thought it'd be a battle of wits between Picard and Q. Not really. They did have a lot of conversations, mm -hmm. but Picard wasn't really able to talk him around or anything. Q was able to convince him to. Um, say he needed him, of course. Yeah. I thought he would say, did you miss me? But actually he missed them. And there were no costume changes, boo. <laughs> the Borg and Data, there wasn't a thing with them both being kind of androidy. Guinan did not make everything all right, but she was helpful. So yeah, I've got a few little bits in there, I suppose. Aww. Well, Richard, it has been a delight to have you on the show. Oh, so lovely. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been a great honor. Obviously, I'm a big fan of the show, so this has been an absolute delight. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. You're a wonderful supporter of the show in many ways, so I really appreciate you. Thank you. Next week, a double bill of discovery. Yeah, we're going to get through that first season and just go pure next gen yeah. after that. And for those of you who are not yet patrons, most of our episodes are going to be Patreon exclusive. Only one episode per month will be available on the free feed. So if you've been thinking about signing up on Patreon, please go over there and join us. Patreon.com forward slash Rachel Watches Star Trek. And thanks. And with that, I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And I'm Richard Wolf. And you've been listening to Rachel Watches Star Trek. Oh, before we go, Rachel has got a new podcast. Here is a spot that will tell you all about it. I was considering I had really good breast milk and I was like, could I sell my breast milk on a black market? Nothing would faze me. I'd just be so deeply chill and relaxed. I kind of already knew that I wouldn't be that though. But always getting to a point in that career and day job where it all became too much. Introducing Finding Me Again podcast, passion, purpose and parenting. And what happens is my children then come home to me singing because the music's back on. Oh, oh, I can do this again and yeah. my brain still works and yes, this is it. This one's for the busy, loving, spread thin parents and those who love them. It takes a lot of work to find ourselves again or maybe for the first time and you've got to know where to look. Finding Me Again podcast is here for you. I'm Rachel Lackey, psychotherapist specialising in parent fulfilment and mum to two little boys. In this podcast, I interview parents about a time when they felt the most lost and the passions that got them through. I'll be gathering the things they've learnt along the way and throwing in my own tips that you can use to find fulfilment. Get involved now by signing up to my mailing list at rachellackeytherapy.com forward slash podcast. Subscribe to the podcast Finding Me Again, wherever you get your pods.